Well, good morning. Welcome to Renaissance. My name is Chris, and it's good to have all of you here today today on this uh, amazing fall day. I know some of you are tired of fall because fall leads to winter, which means cold. I'm the new guy, so I'm excited about fall. And, uh, but uh, it's seriously good to have you here. And we're in this uh, second week of a two-week series called Imagine. And so if you missed last week, or if you're a guest with us here today, I just want to encourage you to go to renaissancechurch.org, click on Messages, and there you can watch, listen to, download, share uh, not only last week's message, uh, but uh, the previous weeks as well. It's just a great resource. Uh, but especially last week's, because last week's message and today, they really uh, 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 link together in a significant way as we imagine what the church uh, could be and can become. Uh, today also we're launching something a little new, and uh, we've been trying different uh, uh, technology to do this, and uh, we just kind of simplified it, which I think is going to help everyone. And so if you have a smartphone with you, or a tablet with you, or if you brought your laptop, even if you brought your desktop, <laughs> awkward, but you, you, you could haul it around. If you go to renaissancechurch.org forward slash notes, uh, there you'll find just the, the scripture and uh, some key pieces of the message there, and uh, we'll have that every weekend, so you can just open up and follow along, and if I skip something, you will know. Uh, Please don't remind me during the message that I skipped something. Afterwards, please do. There's a possibility that I do that uh, after four services, Uh, but also it's there all week for you until the next weekend, so throughout the week, if you're like, what was that verse? What did Chris say? There's a good chance that uh, you'll find it on that notes section, and it's just another tool for you, so... That's available right now. Like I mentioned, we're in this Imagine series, and our imagination, we have a powerful imagination uh, to uh, get this mental picture of what could be or should be. We use our imagination every single day. We imagine uh, uh, what our kids are going to be, uh, going to grow up like, and uh, what are their decisions and career paths, and who are they going to marry, or if you don't have kids yet, you're imagining what it'd be like to have kids. Use our imagination within our career, our jobs. If you're getting close to retirement, you're imagining what it'd be like uh, to be retired. And when we talk about uh, imagine what the church could be and could become, here's what I know. Our imagination is largely uh, influenced by past images that we pull from to imagine what could be. It's just what we do. And the same thing with the church. So it'd be one thing for me to say, let's imagine what the church could and could become. But what I know is for all of us, we're pulling images attached to this whole idea, concept of church from our past. And some of those images are really powerful and uh, me, uh, very meaningful and you know, gives us joy. But some of those images are dark and filled with tension and maybe evoke some anger, some rage within them. And so... For today, if we could maybe uh, set some of those dark images into a, uh, a side and put them into a folder, uh, it'd be easy to say, let's delete those images, but that's not reality. And let's grab onto several new images, images that God has given us that will help us imagine what God's design for the church is and what God hopes the church grows to be. Last week, we looked at the very first church, our very first prayer in the very first church. And it was a very powerful prayer. It's a prayer that uh, 
encouraged everyone to, to say throughout the week, and uh, I'd encourage you to continue to say that prayer. Friday night at the, the concert on the green, I had many people come up to me, and uh, they were saying, hey, I said that prayer this week, or I couldn't remember all the prayer, but I got parts of it. Is that okay? I'm like, that's okay. You know, God's not like grading you on accuracy of the prayer, right? Like, he, he gets it all. But uh, we brought this prayer from the very first uh, church, and we kind of simplified it a little bit, and uh, we brought some modernized language into it. But the heart of the prayer is the same thing. It says this, God, you are sovereign. And my challenge for all of us is just to start praying there. Because when we uh, look to God and start grasping onto God's sovereignty, his power, his will, his purpose, that he's in control, what that does, it takes our issues, our problems, our stresses here uh, in this, this life we have, and it just shrinks them a little bit compared to God's sovereignty. And that's where the first church started. God, you are sovereign. Then they said, enable me to speak your word with great boldness. And what I shared last week was, this wasn't Peter and John, two icons on the church, uh, praying this prayer. It was common people like you and like me praying this prayer. And they were praying. This first church was praying, hey God, use me to speak your word with courage, with boldness. God, as I'm building relationships with people, as I have friendships with people, with my family members, when that door opens for a spiritual conversation through relationship, give me the courage to step through that door. Give me the wisdom to step step through that door. Help eliminate some of that fear of what they might think of me, what they might say about me, what and how they will resist me. God enabled me to speak your word with great boldness, with great courage. And then they said, God, stretch out your hand to do the unimaginable. You see, through this very first prayer, the church exploded. Why? Because they expected God to do only what God can do. And they realized that their mission, their purpose within the church was to be God's voice. And guess what? That's what they did. God, you show up, you do with what only you can do, and we're going to do what you have called us to do, and that is to have life conversations with the people that we interact with every day. And if those spiritual conversations open up, we're just praying that you'll help give us the boldness, the courage to have that conversation. This past week, I prayed especially that last line. I mean, I prayed the whole thing a lot, but I prayed that last line leading up to the concert on the green. God, do the unimaginable. Driving through Summit, because I really like Starbucks, by the way. I look over at the green. I'm like, God, do the unimaginable. Friday night, if you were there, I'll talk more about this later, but... uh, we, we estimate there's somewhere between twelve to 1,500 people there. And I found myself standing there going, God, you're doing the unimaginable. As a church comes into the community and is truly part of the community. And God, thank you for holding the weather back. <laughs> that was a real prayer all week. We were staring at our weather apps going, oh, come on, God. Come on, God, just this one night. And it was like the night before, horrible. Friday night, oh, it was beautiful. 
So the first church prayed this prayer. Luke records in the book of Acts. Luke was a physician, and he wrote two books. And actually, it was one book. It was volume one and volume two for many, many years. And later, they kind of broke it out to the Gospel of Luke, which accounts for uh, Jesus' messages and his ministry and his miracles. And then uh, volume two was the book of Acts, which uh, records the launch of the church and the first years of the church. And uh, Luke records that the church went from about 120 people to 3,000 to 5,000 and beyond. It was this catalytic movement of people speaking the word boldly and expecting God to do the unimaginable. That's why we have church today. Well, before the church really launched, Jesus in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 kind of gives the charge, kind of gives the blueprint, the strategy, and it's real simple. Jesus said, he goes, you will be my witnesses. And to that group of people that he was speaking to, that had a lot, a lot of meaning, meaning. Because guess what? They were all witnesses of the resurrected Jesus. It's, they had witnessed him crucified and buried. He was dead. And now Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, was talking to them. And so when Jesus said to that group, you will be my witnesses, they're all like, yeah, 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 we get that part, Jesus. We're, you're talking to us. We're we're interacting with you. We're touching, like you're in front of us. But you will be my witnesses. And then Jesus gave kind of four specific areas they were to go to. He started off with Jerusalem. For most of them, that was their home city, their community. It's where they live, where they work, their neighbors. It'd be like uh, Jesus saying, you'll be my witnesses to Summit or Short Hills or uh, uh, Chatham or New Providence or Sparta or Westfield. It's your home city. He goes, start there where you spend most of your time. Soccer season has started, and so yesterday we're at soccer games. I have another one this afternoon, and uh, we're just hanging out with all these families that their kids go to school with my kids, right? It's our community. Some, it's our community. And Jesus says, start there, Jerusalem, and then go to Judea. It'd be like Jesus saying, uh, New Jersey, or kind of New York City, New Jersey area. It's where you spend a lot of time. He goes, go out. Don't just stay in your little community. Make sure wherever you go in that kind of area that you are my witnesses. And then he includes Samaria, which the Samaritans were the despised people to the Jews. And so he goes, go to that place where you don't want to go to. Go Interact with people that you would not normally interact with. Go to those areas where you'd rather drive around and find a different route to get around that area, go there. And then he says, to the ends of the earth. And I always think when, when Jesus was saying these words, this is not verifiable in the Bible, but I think when he said these words, to the ends of the earth, he had a smirk on his face, he was smiling, because he just knew that this group of people thought the ends of the earth was like the tip of Spain. And Jesus was thinking to himself, you guys have no clue. There's still continents left to be discovered. And Jesus was thinking about this day 2,000-some years later in a city called Summit at a church called Renaissance that some pastor was going to be talking about Acts 1, verse 8. And that's what they did. And they spoke the word boldly. They told people about Jesus. And the church exploded. But like any organization, nonprofit, for-profit, church, business, you name it. Like any organization, there's always conflict. Always. I mean, families, conflict. 
Family reunions, a lot of conflict. Why? Why is there conflict? Because people were involved. And when people are involved, guess what? There's conflict. And so all of a sudden, this major conflict sprung up from within this very first church. And between this first prayer we looked at last week and this first conflict, what we get is a very, very clear picture of God's mission for his church. It's bigger than just Renaissance. I'm talking the church, capital C. And we're going to discover something very powerful today within this first conflict. Now, before we get in it, I just want to kind of throw this warning out here that part of this conflict is a little PG-13-ish. So if you have younger kids, we have great kid environments, and you can take them there. If not, I've given my warning. Here we go. Luke records, certain people, and we'll get to who these certain people were. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers. Now, part of this is good because, you know, there's that whole prayer. Speak the word boldly. And guess what? This group of certain people were speaking the word boldly. They were going out into the community, speaking the word. But it's what they were speaking that was creating the conflict. And they're drawing some lines in the the sand. They were putting a stake in the ground saying, no, 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 what we're teaching, you have to follow. And that created conflict. And you're going to feel that tension right here. Unless you are, and we'll fill in the blank here in a moment, unless you are, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Can't you feel that tension? Unless you, and it doesn't matter at this point what that blank is, you can't be saved. There's an action that you have to do to be saved. And for some of you, an image attached to church is around something like this. Unless you attend this class, you cannot be a part of. Unless you recite this, you cannot be a part of. Unless you do this, you cannot be a part of. If you do this, you can't be a part of. And in the very early church, already there's like these policies governing faith and Christianity and the church. Now, I get that there needs to be some like guardrails and policy. I, I get that in, in organizations and church. Like, we have policy down in our children's area. Why? Because our kids, my kids, are down there. And we want it to be safe and secure. I get that. But when the policies start to uh, be attached to salvation and to God, it's a different issue. You see, what this group of certain people, the, the policy, the unless you are, you know what that was? Unless you are circumcised. Okay. Women, of course, you didn't have to follow this. Men, you know what? You have to have surgery to be saved. Now, if you're eight days old, okay. If you're 40 or 50, if you're anything older than a, a year, fellas, right? Like, this is, like, significant. They're like, no, 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 no. Okay, here's Jesus. Jesus died for you, but to be a Christian, to be a part of a church, to be saved, yeah, you gotta have a surgery. So let me help you schedule it with doctor. No, what are you saying? I mean, can you just feel that tension now? 
You see, this group of certain people, actually in Acts chapter 10, Luke records, he kind of gives them a name because that's where they first kind of emerge. In the original Greek, the name that he gives this group of certain people, it was the title, Those of the Circumcision. Could you imagine that at a conference with a name tag? (laughs) Hi, my name's Chris. I'm part of Those of the Circumcision. Like, that's what he called them. And this group were saying, no, you have to be to be saved. Now, when we kind of roll back into, you know, why this was, is we have to understand that Christianity emerged from Judaism. That's where Christianity came from. Jesus was a Jew. Peter was. I mean, they they all were. And so Christianity came out of Judaism. And so this group of certain people were saying, wait, 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 wait. Okay, Gentiles. And all Gentile was was a a non-Jew. So if you weren't a Jew, you were considered a Gentile. Okay, Gentiles, for you to become a Christian... You first have to become a Jew, you know, religiously. Like, and there was a process that they had back then. For any Gentile who wanted to become a Jew, they had a process. It was five or six different steps, it's depending on what list you read. But circumcision was always on that list. And so they just said, okay, this makes sense. Gentile, to become Christian, you need to become a Jew. So you have to be circumcised. So to their defense, it was just logical unless you were a Gentile, and you're going, you want me to do what? Uh, I don't think so. Well, this group of certain people had traveled to Antioch, and at that point, uh, uh, Paul and Barnabas uh, had just come back from what's called uh, Paul's first missionary journey. Paul had uh, several of these, but Paul and Barnabas had gone to Cyprus and up into what we now know as the southeastern part of Turkey and had been just sharing the story about Jesus to all these Gentiles. And so they had come back to Antioch, their home church, and this group of people started saying, no, if you're a Gentile, you have to be circumcised to be saved. And Paul was saying, no, 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 time out. You know, we've just spent you know, all this time with all these Gentiles and lives are being changed and people are turning and trusting in Jesus. And it is uh, this catalytic movement. It's amazing to see what's happening within people's hearts. And no, we can't, we can't, we can't ask people to be circumcised. Like that will just kill the church. I mean, grown men are just going to be like, oh, I'm going to bail on that. Paul, you're great, but no way. Well, the church in Antioch, some of the leaders said to Paul and Barnabas, hey, we've we got to solve this conflict. We, 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 somehow we've got to come to the middle ground or no middle ground. We've we got to solve this because this is going to destroy the church. It was that heated. So they sent Paul and Barnabas down to Jerusalem, which is kind of where the, the, you know, the church started. as a headquarters, if you want to use that word, for the church, where all the, the elders and the apostles of the church were. And so they sent them down. To, to try to uh, work through this conflict. And so Paul and Bar- Barnabas get there, and all the, the leaders of the church were there. And Paul and Barnabas just started sharing stories of life change from all of their uh, journeys. Saying, no, we've been, we've been here, and we've been there, and we've been telling people about Jesus, and people are turning and trusting in Jesus. Their lives are being radically shifted. It's amazing what we have experienced. Jesus is alive, and he is changing lives. So they start telling these stories. Then all of a sudden, a group of people that were part of this council, they stood up. 
It says, then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, and we'll get to what they said. But there's kind of two sides in this moment. Because on one side, you know, this, this, this group of Pharisees stood up and, and you could just kind of feel this like moment of them saying, okay, enough of the warm and fuzzy stories. I know, tears, life change. Okay, that feels warm. But we got an issue to solve. The other side that I think is fascinating is that there were Pharisees there. Now, maybe you remember that there was two group of Jewish religious leaders of that time. The Sadducees and the Pharisees. They're the ones that predominantly got Jesus crucified. And all of a sudden we see in the early church, guess what? There's Pharisees that are now Christ followers. It's awesome. When I talk about the catalytic movement of the early church, this is what was happening. Pharisees, Jewish religious leaders, are now Christ followers. But they stood up and they said, the Gentiles must be circumcised. This has been going on for thousands of years. Abraham was in his 90s when he was circumcised. If Abraham got circumcised, come on, men. Man up. That's not in the Bible. I mean, the Abraham part is, but the man up, it's not in there. Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Can you feel the tension? Well, then Peter stands up. And Peter had something to share. And Peter kind of drives a stake into the ground. And I tell you, it sets a new course for the church. That's what Peter said. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. You know, Peter says, guys, it's about the heart. Do you remember everything that Jesus taught was about the heart, the condition of the heart, what's going on within your heart? Because what Jesus understands is a condition of your heart, what's going on inside of you, will always produce the actions on the outside. And Jesus was all about heart change, not action change. Because Jesus just knew as the heart shifted, as the heart changed, actions follow suit. And Peter's bringing them all back saying, hey, this is all about heart issues. He goes on. He goes, now then, why do you try to test God by putting, the necks, putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our answers have been able to bear? A yoke was this massive piece of wood that they would place on top of the necks, the backs of oxen. And it was extremely heavy and very restrictive. Peter was like, why would we put this heavy weight, this restrictive device on Gentiles? We haven't been able to live up to it. Our answers, ancestors haven't been able to live up with it. The 613 laws, man, we, we can't live up to this. Why would we put this on the Gentiles? He says, no, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Peter just takes that stake and drives it into the ground. And he goes, guess what? It's not action that saves you. It's grace. 
It's not doing the right things that saves you, it's grace. It's not saying the right things, acting a certain way, being good enough that saves you. It's not going to church that saves you, it's grace. And for some of you, you have an image attached to church and it's all about what you do. And so you try to be good enough to please God. You try to go to church to please God. You try to uh, give to the needy to please God because you think if you do enough things that God might like you or love you more and that maybe he will save you. You know what Peter was saying? No, 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 no. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing I can do. Jesus did it on the cross. And when Jesus died, grace was extended for all who turn and trust in him. It's about the heart. And Jesus knew as our hearts changed because of us turning and trusting in him, our actions will change. It just happens. Luke records that the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. And you could just imagine everything shifted at that point. As stories about life change continue to roll off of Paul and Barnabas' tongue. And then James, the brother of Jesus, who we discover is in this seat of leadership. He was like overseeing the entire council. That was his very significant leadership role. James, Jesus' brother, speaks up. And he looks at Peter, but he doesn't call Peter by his Greek name. He calls him by his Hebrew name, Simon. Which I think is this powerful, clarifying moment when James looks at Peter and says, Simon, remember, he's a Hebrew. He's a Jew. He was raised in the temple. He's not a Gentile. Remember where Peter comes from. And James says, Simon, he's right. Why would we put this yoke upon Gentiles? And beyond that, it's not works, it's not actions that save people. It's grace. Jesus died on the cross for all who will turn and trust in him. And then James gives his judgment, his decision. And this is what he says. It is therefore my judgment that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Hey, let's remove obstacles for people turning to God. Let's not make it difficult. Let's not formulate all these policies and rules and traditions and all these things. Let's just make it easy. Because we want people to hear about Jesus. And we want people to turn and trust in Jesus because we know when that happens, grace covers them and life change happens. Let's not make it difficult. And then he gives a couple guardrails and these guardrails might seem, again, we have to go back a couple thousand years, but he gives a couple guardrails for Jews and Gentiles to, to, to get along together because the unity of the church is really important. So I'll read this and then I'll uh, quickly unpack it. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. 
And there's kind of two uh, categories. One is sexual immorality, which is just good wisdom. He says, hey, just avoid that. I've never sat with a married couple in counseling. Then I'm not sure if their marriage is going to make it. That sexual immorality wasn't the cause of their tension. And I've never had a spouse, husband or wife, say, I am so thankful that my husband or wife cheated on me or did this with this person on me, right? And and James was like, hey, let's avoid sexual immorality. (laughs) That's just great wisdom to live by. And then he talks about food. And in the Jewish culture, this was significant. I mean, they... They couldn't believe that Gentiles would eat the type of food they would eat. And James was just saying, hey, we, let's, let's everyone get along. And this food thing, is a, it's a huge issue for Jews. Gentiles, I know you don't understand it, but it's huge. And for us as a church to be together, maybe, just maybe, when you're together eating, let's be careful of what type of food you bring, right? It's just, it's important. When we think about this moment, James, the brother of Jesus, as he drives this stake in the ground, and he goes, hey, let's not make it difficult. And another image that some of you have attached to the church is because you've been a part of a church that just made it difficult, right? You see, the gravitational pull of every church, every church, the very first church, that we're looking at today, and every church since then, and every church in the future, the gravitational pull of every church is inward. It's about keeping people, not reaching people. It's about setting up obstacles, not eliminating obstacles. Just this. And our heart here at Renaissance is to eliminate every obstacle that we can except for three flights of stairs and no elevator. But we are working on that, by the way. We really are. Other than that, we we just desperately want to eliminate obstacles. We we just do. That's why I'm so okay if you're sitting there right now saying, Chris, I still don't know if I believe in Jesus. I'm fine with that. Now, I hope one day we can have a uh, life-changing conversation about Jesus or that you with someone who brought you Like, I hope you don't stay there. I'll just be very transparent. I hope you don't stay there. But I'm okay if that's where you find yourself. I'm okay if you find yourself right now going, Chris, I don't trust you. You're a pastor. I'm okay with that. Because I know there's an image from your past that's influencing that thought right now. That there's a pastor, a rabbi, a priest, someone that that has hurt you. And all I can do is be me. And maybe over time, earn your trust. I understand that right now you might have an image about church and you just don't trust this church thing. And you're trying to figure this out. I'm okay. See, Renaissance, the heartbeat, it's why Renaissance was started. It's to be a church that says, wherever you find yourself spiritually, let's just go on the journey together. Let's go together. That's why we have on our wall everyone. There's this macro vision that God has given for his church that the church should be about everyone. It's why Jesus came and died for everyone. But there's a micro vision to this vision. It's about the one. Speaking boldly to people that you're building relationships with. 
And so I want to take a few minutes at the close today and uh, talk about this coming ministry season. Because everything we do here at Renaissance is to eliminate or to limit the obstacles, the difficulties. And to fight this gravitational pull to be inward because we desperately want to be outward focused. The concert on the green Friday night was all about being part of a community and saying we want to be a part and we care for the community and care for people in need in our communities and we want to just be partnered with it. And it happened. Over 2,000 items was donated Friday night alone. Friday night, 2,000 items of food. Incredible. We can clap for that. That's last year, perspective last year, over two weekends, we collected right over 2,000 items of food. So in one night, we almost met what we did over two weekends last year. And so my encouragement is, like, let's keep going. We got, we got the rest of this weekend and next weekend to bring food. Go to your pantry. Raid your pantry. I mean, there's food in there. I know, come on, I know your pantry. There's stuff that you're like, just in case. Kim and I went through our pantry back in June, and we discovered food with dates on cans of food that, <laughs> that date. Um, uh, back to our Vegas days over two years ago. We moved it here and it got lost in the back of our pantry. Don't bring that type of food, right? Don't, don't throw that away. But go to your pantry, raid it. Go to Costco, buy a couple flats of something, right? Like, w- w- what if we could give the schools, you know, over 4,000 items of food as an act of just a church caring for people that are in need? This Christmas, uh, we're going to partner with Dyfus again. Last year was the first year doing it, and this is kind of how we get into Judea, you know, part of Jesus' vision, you know, to the surrounding area. And so we partnered last year with Dyfus to give presents to kids in need. And uh, what was amazing was when all the presents were delivered to this main lady of Dyfus who we were interacting with, uh, she was brought to tears, and this is what she said. She'd never had an organization give uh, so many presents So she talked about the quantity of presents that Renaissance gave. But this was the next part. Not only the quantity. She goes, I've never seen an organization give the quality of gifts that Renaissance gave. (sighs) I actually walked into conversation with a couple men that are part of our men's group. And I don't know if they physically had money on the table as a bet. But they were seeing who could buy nicer gifts than each other. There's like this competition of quality of gifts. And on one side, I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. And the other side, I'm like, that's really jacked up. But, <laughs> right? But it just reflects the heart of Renaissance that these kids not only just got gifts, and it's more than the gifts, right? It's more than gifts, it's the love and message behind the gift. So we're going to partner with Dyfus again this Christmas. More information will be coming out. And then uh, we have two dates that we'll re- release in here in a couple weeks. That uh, Already we've taken a couple teams to uh, Guatemala. And this is part of the ends of the earth side. And we have an amazing organization that wants to partner with us. And we want to partner with them. And so we've had a couple groups of people. Maybe you've heard or talked with some people that have gone to Guatemala and we just kind of wanted to get this thing started. And it just came from someone within Renaissance that just has a passion for this. And, uh, and so we have a date in, in March. It lines up with Pingree's and Kent Place and a couple other private schools, their spring break, and then uh, also in August. And uh, we're going to start taking people down to Guatemala. My wife and my oldest daughter, Kiera, they're going to go in August. 
And uh, it's just another opportunity for us to surf and to be outward focused. And so we're really excited about that. Uh, We kick off next weekend a series called uh, Hello, My Name Is, and we have invite cards. And those invite cards, I I hope you know, you can get them out at the guest center. Uh, We have them for the concert on the green. The invite cards aren't because our, our, our creative team is bored and they want to print things. Uh, I mean, they're really not bored, and they're very creative. But uh, those invite cards are just another great tool for you to create a conversation to your everyone. Wednesday morning, uh, we're dropping my youngest, she's seven, Claire, off at school. And uh, she reached up and grabbed a stack of the concert tickets. I mean, like, climbed over the seat to grab them. We're like, what are you doing? You know, a proud dad moment. What are you doing? And she goes, I want to give these to my friends. I'm like, okay. So she came home that night, and I was like, did you give the concert on the green tickets to your friends? Oh, yeah, I gave them to all my friends. Awesome. Kind of forgot about it. Friday night. You can't, you can't make these things up. Friday night, we're closing down the concert on the green. Kim walks up to me, and she goes, you'll never guess what just happened. I'm like, what? She goes, I'm standing there with Claire. Remember Claire's seven? I'm standing there with Claire. And all of a sudden, this little girl with her mom walks up to Claire. And this little girl walks up to Claire and goes, Claire, thank you so much for giving me that invite so I could come tonight. I had so much fun. (sighs) My first thought was, that's it. That's why we do what we do. The second thing I thought was, oh, that's a great sermon illustration. I can't wait to share Seriously, that's bad, right? It's why we do it. A seven-year-old just inviting her friends, and now her and her mom could come and experience something a little different, a new image attached to a church. I'm sure they didn't expect those songs to be sung at a church event. That's why we do what we do. Okay, going on. So uh, weekend services, that's coming up. Christmas concerts. Uh, Last year, we went from five to six. If you've never been here for a Christmas concert, uh, it's just... It's one of the most amazing experiences. But again, the purpose of the Christmas concert is to invite your everyone. It's what the purpose is. And so last year, we went from five to six, and we removed a, a pretty significant obstacle. We stopped charging. For some of you to drop two or $300 to buy multiple tickets to give them to friends, not a big deal. For others of you, that's a big deal. And so we just said last year, let's just remove that. Let's just remove paying for tickets because we want you to invite your friends. And so we went not only from five to six uh, Christmas concerts, but we went from 1,100 people the year before to 1,900 people the year before. So this year, the band was really bored. And they said, can we please, please do more? So we're adding a seventh one. And, um, and so those are coming up. And uh, if you've never experienced them, you need to. If you have, you know. And if you saw last year's, I'm telling you, Charlie and the team, their plan for this coming year is going to blow last year's out. It's awesome. And I just set the bar high. Okay, uh, a couple quick, uh, other quick but important things. Ignite. Back in June of 2012, we launched what we called our Ignite campaign. We we're anticipating God's movement here uh, in Renaissance, and we knew that at some point we're going to need space. And so we had an amazing Ignite night where we just said, hey, we, we're asking you to partner with us financially so that when God opens a space, we're ready. And so that fall, uh, we were uh, in conversations with another church to buy their property, their building. And uh, basically, it just came down to we were somewhere between a half million and a million dollars away from making a deal. And that was a large chunk of money. And what they needed financially and what we thought the property was worth, we were that far apart. And so we said, no, 
because we're stewards of God's money. And, uh, and we said no, and that was heart, heartbreaking because we spent so much time and effort to get to that point. Well, back in uh, February of 2013, this past February, we started negotiations on another property that most of you have never heard about. And we were within a week to two weeks of me making an announcement of a finalized contract. We were so excited. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of hours of work to get to a place where we had a final contract. We had signed. We were waiting for the seller to sign. And then I was going to to announce. I was just so ready, so ready. I can't wait to announce because it would have been a game changer for us as a church. And the seller backed out. So right now we're working on something else. And so this is what I ask. If you're giving to Ignite, keep giving. It's It's in a designated account. It's only going to be used for the expansion of the mission and vision of Renaissance Church. So it's sitting there. My wife and I are still giving to that. Uh, uh, If you if want to jump into it, please do. And um, more than that, I want to ask you just to pray. Because if this next opportunity opens up, I'm going to be up here on stage saying, hey, let's go. Let's partner together because it's about reaching people. And um, so please be praying for that. And we just hope that we have some news this fall to be able to share with everyone. And uh, last week, I shared this one verse at the very end. As the result of this early church praying this prayer, um, there's some just uh, game-changing actions that happened within the church. And Luke records this in Acts chapter 4. He says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Generosity erupted from within the church. Why? Because when hearts start shifting and aligning with God's mission for his church, guess what happens? People want to give and be a part of what God's doing. And this truly is God's church. I say that all the time. It's not my church. It's God's church that he's placed in all of our hands to steward well. Generosity erupted. Well, our fiscal year is uh, uh, September 1 through uh, August 31st. It lines up with our ministry strategy and kind of the rhythm of our year. And so we've been uh, working on bringing uh, this fiscal year to a close. And in four to five weeks, I'll share uh, our annual report. We'll have it online, and you can download in all of that. So this isn't the annual report. Uh, This is me sharing some incredible news that I want to celebrate with you on. And... uh, and so we started wrapping up our fiscal year, and uh, I just received uh, our giving for this last fiscal year. And um, some of you might know that uh, we have a gap, a financial gap that we're closing. And this is year one of a five-year plan to close a financial gap. You see, there's one family that has been carrying the financial weight of Renaissance for 11, 12 years. And when I first came, we, we together with this family and our stewardship team saying, we as a church have to carry this financial weight. Not because this family wants to get rid of it, but because it's healthy for a church to carry it together. And so we started talking about closing the gap, closing the gap. And so this is year one of a five-year plan. And so as we looked into this, this fiscal year, we kind of said, okay, we want to be aggressive with increasing our giving because to close this financial gap, we need to increase giving and decrease budget. And that's what we're doing. Decreasing budget, spending less, less, being wise, being strategic, looking for other ways to do things without spending money, 
and increase giving. And so as we looked at what we needed year one, we knew on the conservative side, we, we would need to increase giving to around $950,000. That was our conservative side. Our aggressive number, really aggressive number, number was $1,050,000. And somewhere between those two numbers, we thought we'd land right at a million dollars. And that's what we needed this year. Decreasing our budget, increasing our giving to close this gap year one was a million dollars. So remember, conservative, 950, very aggressive, was a million, 50,000. We needed a million. And I tell you, when I, when I got the phone call this week, there's just these moments where you just know God's in the midst of, of this church doing things that are beyond us. And I got the phone call, and our giving, fiscal year 13, was at a million, $75,000. I want to say thank you. You know, because this is what I know. This is what I know. For some of you, you stepped into the game with us and said, I want to be a part of this movement that God's doing at Renaissance. And you started giving this year. And I want to say thank you. Every time I get, uh, I get an email every week from people who gave for the very first time, and I sit at my desk and I write thank you notes. And I tell you, when I write those thank you notes, it is a, it is a special moment for me. And I know for many of you, you took your giving and you increased it. And you said, I'm, I'm going to give more. And this is what I know. As you give to God in this act of worship, when you align your heart with God's mission for the church, I know what's going on within you. And it's significant. So thank you. Now, uh, we got a big gap to close to the tune of $1.6 million. That's the gap now. And we're decreasing our budget more. And uh, we need to increase our giving more. So there's a, that's the reality. And I'll share more of that in our annual report. But this is what I know. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And he has called us to speak his word boldly. And what I know is God is stretching out his hand. And he's doing the unimaginable through this church and all of these communities. And I'm humbled to be a part of Renaissance. Let me pray. Lord, I celebrate with you. There's so many things that are going on. Story after story after story of life change. Story after story of people walking beside their everyone. Speaking your word boldly. I'm so thankful for the sacrificial giving that's erupting from within Renaissance because I know what's going on in people's hearts as they worship you with what you have placed in their hands. Lord, may we continue to pray that prayer of the first church, that, Lord, you are sovereign. Enable all of us to speak your word with great boldness. And God, stretch out your hand to do the unimaginable. In your name we pray. Amen. God bless. Have an amazing week.